You're listening to The Peak Podcast with me, Christina Roman. We're having real, intimate conversations about the interconnectedness of life. Join us as we discuss big topics like intuition, personal mastery, and emotional wellness and why they matter for you. In this episode, I talk to Sarah Rose Whaley, also known as my sister, about infertility, body image, marriage, relationships, life transformations, intuition, and our 20-something antics. Specifically, we talk about the platinum rule, the power of saying, I don't know what to say, seasons of relationships, and what not to say to pregnant women. Here are a few quotes that stood out to me from the episode. When you're single, everyone's like, you need to be 100% happy being single. No, you don't. You don't need to change your dreams and pretend that those are not your dreams. Be in the pain and do shit anyway. I didn't know that I was to be trusted. And lastly, the famous Elizabeth Gilbert quote, I've never seen any life transformation that didn't begin with the person in question finally getting tired of their own bullshit. All of that and more within the episode. Happy listening. Hi, welcome to my podcast. Hi, I'm Sarah Rose. I'm Christina's sister. Yes, we have a bunch of different topics that we want to chat about today. I've literally been hoarding topics that I want to talk to you about on a podcast for months and months. I have an entire board dedicate like a file a sarah rose file and i'm ready to jump in yeah cool i feel i feel really cool (laughs) (laughs) are you honored you better be i am (laughs) okay so first of all you know i have i've i've actually kind of given you some teasers and told you about some of the topics that i want to talk about with you but before that surprise question which is what's on your mind right now honestly right now i have some clients going through some pretty intensive stuff um, that is on my mind. I can't really share a whole lot about it because of con- confidentiality, but it's uh, pretty heavy stuff and it is um, it's getting to me. Yeah. I think we'll definitely have parts of this that are super lighthearted and really casual and goofy, but I think you also are dealing with like you said, with a ton of stuff. And so I want to be really cognizant of that. Is there anything I know, obviously, because of confidentiality, so Sarah's is a therapist, which we're going to get into probably later on in the podcast. But is there anything that's helping you in this moment or anything that you anything you do want to share? The thing that always helps me is my baby. <laughs> so speaking of babies, <laughs> um, good segue. We're just going to take advantage of all of the natural segues that that pop up. Um, so you have a baby. I have a niece. She's incredible. Um, and so I just – it was not an easy route to get here. And one of the things – one of the biggest reasons I wanted to bring you onto my podcast is to talk about infertility um, because it's something that you have been very vocal about so for, what, years now? Yes. With a baby now and without a baby when you actually were infertile and, and didn't have a child. And so you're not – I'm not bringing you on here as an infertility success story. It just happens to be that you have a baby and went through infertility and it's the time that I'm starting a podcast. Yeah. But – so I don't want it to sound – I think it's really hard to talk about infertility with somebody who has a baby because it sounds like you're like, just wait. You'll have a baby. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, I have I have several friends who have been through infertility and uh, – it doesn't ever go away. It does, like it's always there, but for sure it I mean it it changes your perspective somewhat and it's you know a lot of people are like, "Well, it worked. Like I I took a break or I you know, whatever, it worked." But I think it's you always have to be aware that's not going to be the case for everybody. Like there are 
plenty of people who take breaks and relax and do all the, I mean, they do all the things or don't do all the things and they still will not have a child. So I think, um, I mean, that's just why I'm super grateful. Yeah. I think that you and I have exposure to a lot of people who have miscarried. We have exposure to a lot of people who have dealt with infertility. And it's something that I think it's really interesting. It's an interesting world for me because I live in D.C. I'm surrounded by a lot of very career-driven, mostly single people who are very ambitious and don't really feel a deep desire, at this point at least, to be a parent. And I think it's really, really easy when you're in that situation to be like, oh, well, why don't you just adopt? Why don't you just relax? Why don't you just do X, Y, Z, whatever advice people give you? So tell me what helped you when you were dealing with infertility? Like how did people, how could people support you? Um, <laughs> Never, ever, ever, ever tell someone that's going through infertility to relax or that it will happen in God's timing. Don't, don't say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but for me, my friends... Or amazing. I think it's like such an awkward conversation for someone that hasn't been through it. And um, one of my good friends, uh, she got pregnant right away. And when we were going through it, she just straight up said to me, I don't know what to say to you. I love that. I have a blog post about that. Yeah. It was the best because then I could say, thank you for caring and for like addressing the fact that it's awkward and here is what you can do. So love she it. would... Uh, like text she knew when all of my appointments were and when I was testing and when I was in my two week wait and when I had to go do ultrasounds and when I, you know, had another negative pregnancy test. Um, she, you know, she was I had I had several friends that were were right up in the action with me. Yeah. Um, and that was the the best thing that a friend could do was to just ask what's next? Where are you at? And I don't think that's the case for everybody. Some people are super private about it, obviously. But for me personally, that is what helped me is just caring. Yeah. And wanting to know what what happened next. I love that. And I actually have an email in my drafts about the five five life-changing things that you can say that just in, in tons of different contexts. But one of them is, I don't know what to say. And how incredibly powerful it is to say, I want to say the right thing and instead of instead of obsessing and instead of making this about me and my inability to find the words, I'm just going to say I don't know what to say. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's the same thing as with death or <laughs> grief, yeah. And yeah, any and yeah, any sort of grief is you don't you don't you probably don't know what to say. So mm-hmm. I think saying that. <laughs> I didn't even tell you that I had that written. I don't think I even sent you that blog post. Sarah is no. my reader for some of my emails. <laughs> so it's really funny. We're already on the same page. So um, I want you to explain, I assume you feel comfortable, but just explain what it feels like, if you can put words to it, to deeply, deeply know your entire life that you want to be a mother. Because the reason I Oh, we're both going to start crying. Um, yep. <laughs> the reason I ask that is because, again, I come in from a world where a lot of people don't – they just straight up do not understand. They're not trying to be callous. They just don't know what that urge feels like. And my analogy that I use, which is to me it's one one-hundredth of your desire to be a mother, but is the feeling of wanting to be in a relationship. And if you don't understand that feeling, you're like, just enjoy life. Just relax. This is, I mean, I don't mean to be repetitive, but it's the same, you know, very well-intentioned, 
but seriously annoying and not helpful advice. So tell us what it truly feels like, like in your body, in your mind. What does that feel like? Uh, Try not to cry. I dare you. <laughs> yeah, game over. Don't think of your baby in the room next door. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. Um, I mean, I I don't remember the first time I thought about being a mom because it's just been a th- it wasn't like oh that's the next step is like oh I should have kids it was a deep deep yearning, yearning. to be yeah like I, I have no better word than yearning um forever I mean I remember our mom saying that when I was two I would ask if I could pet the babies <laughs> like I was just <laughs> always obsessed with babies and um you know, I, I grew up babysitting and I and then I, you know, I nannied through college and then I've worked with kids my whole life. And, um, you know, as I got older and obviously like really wanted to be in a relationship. And then once I was married um, and I was, you know, going out in public with my clients or, you know, babysitting, whatever it was, like with other people's kids, it's just like, I don't know, it's just like a physical ache to just be procreate yeah <laughs> yeah I mean I just feel like I I felt like I just had like so much love none of it was about that's what you're supposed to do or that's again like that's the next step none of it was that it was that is that was my dream being married having a husband having a good a a good marriage a happy marriage and a family that's that's what I care about it's what you've always cared about I mean I can vouch for that that there's I've just always known you as the person who wanted to be married and who wanted to have kids and transitioning into your marriage you mentioned having a happy marriage was a priority we do not come from a family of long-lasting marriages. Um, We have a lot of divorce, a lot of divorce in our immediate family and in our peripheral family. And so I look at your marriage and it's one of the few marriages that seems to be fully so like truly based in love and based in respect and trust and fun. Like you, I know that when I come here, there will always be goofiness. And I think that's, I'll speak for you, that that's a huge value. Do you concur? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, I'm pretty dumb. So, I mean, not intellectual. Well, maybe I sound pretty intellectually dumb. (laughs) We'll get get into education. (laughs) Humor-wise, I'm pretty dumb. And uh, I could not be with somebody who did not have the same ridiculous sense of humor as me and Tim couldn't either it's funny because when i think of a relationship i told a friend once i was like the the two big things that i want are someone who's incredibly passionate a a lot of this has evolved over the years but incredibly passionate and somebody who's completely goofy and silly and this friend was like oh good luck you can't find that in the same person and i i just responded like i'd rather be alone than not have those two things those two things have always been so incredibly important to me yeah Right? (laughs) Yeah. Simple. I think you definitely can have that. I mean, I do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. I I always like – I'm expecting Tim to just run in here. He has a – he is from Ohio and he wears a lot of camouflage and so we have like a running joke. (laughs) Oh, can't see you. Where's Tim? (laughs) 
he likes to make everyone laugh and he likes a he's a jokester so we'll see if he interrupts us (laughs) just kidding he's out he's out golfing (laughs) um but tell me about marriage how the hell do you make it work uh i mean (laughs) we had well first of all marriage counseling is great um (laughs) we only went we went like right out we went to do premarital premarital counseling and um it just didn't work scheduling wise so we went right after we got married um like a month after that we got married in june and that summer was tough for some reason it was a huge adjustment even though we already lived together but it was a big adjustment we found ourselves fighting all the time um and yelling at each other which we don't really do um I mean, we fight, but we didn't yell. Um, And so we went to marriage counseling just for a little while. And and the biggest thing that we learned that I just like preach to everybody is the platinum rule. So everybody knows the golden rule, Mm -hmm. you know, treat others how you want to be treated. But the platinum Mm -hmm. rule is what our therapist taught us. I love us. Yeah. And it's treat others how they want to be treated. I love it so much. Yeah. It's, it is like, like mind blowing, like game changer. So For example, when Tim is super stressed out and, you know, has had a bad day at work or whatever, he wants to be left alone and he wants to come up to bonus room and just watch TV by himself for a couple hours. That is so unnatural to me. (laughs) When I am stressed out, I want him to come and talk to me and be like, what can I do? How are you? Like, how's your day? Like, let me, you know, whatever. Like, and I want him to just, like, keep on talking to me and, like, cuddle me and, like, whatever, like, be up yeah. in my face. Yeah. And so when he would say he just wanted to be alone when he was upset, it was so unnatural to me to just leave him. And I was like, well, geez, if he treated me this way, I'd be so pissed. Like, I would think he was such an asshole. Yeah, you'd be sitting there seething. Yes. But – and in, in, in vice versa. Like, if he – if if I was up in his face, that would stress him out more. Right. So once we learned that, and it took a lot of practice, like good year probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get it. It's still like very unnatural to me, but I get it more. That's just one example of how we use it. But that is like probably the most helpful. And then humor. I mean, we just can laugh. We can, you know, I mean, of course we argue, but we can get over things really quickly and resolve. We also we communicate really, really well. I feel like it's such a cliche to say that communication is everything, but communication is everything. So yeah, <laughs> it has to be said. Yeah, I think for us, communication and humor are the two things that and, and well and commitment. I think we communicate. Yeah all day long but if we were if we're not committed i mean we we we're we know we're committed and we trust each other that when shit gets hard like no one's bailing yeah i think it's i have a lot of different thoughts circulating in my mind right now so i have this one thought that i wanted to talk to you about so we'll kind of we'll get there but it's basically the idea that you you're four years older than me and so you have the honor and unprivilege (laughs) of having to navigate things before I do and go through situations before I go through them and then I can't support you because or I I don't understand until I do understand and it's Mm -hmm. usually like four years later that I'm like oh but so I think watching you navigate a marriage is really nice so thank you so much for doing (laughs) it first um I'm learning a lot well I let's be honest I would have been really pissed if you got married before me that's true so I really did you a service you're welcome I guess you did yourself a service I think (laughs) we we both win great um win win 
so watching you navigate it has been just really interesting and the sureness that you feel. So it's, I have a few people in my life who have just really, truly convinced me that yes, relationships are absolutely work, but they shouldn't be that hard. It shouldn't feel like you're questioning yourself all the time and you shouldn't feel like you're uneasy. And I think it's really, I think it's really easy for people to say, well, marriage is hard work. And we, I think you don't disagree with that, but you also are like, it shouldn't feel miserable. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think there are also seasons. I mm-hmm. mean, we've only been married almost three years. Yeah. And I think, you know, the season right after we got married, I mean, we had just gotten married. We were having all these fights. And I think we both yeah. were kind of like, ooh, did we just make a mistake? Um, but I think, you know, we, we, we the counseling helped. And I think, um, I think, again, like seasons are one thing, but if it's always so hard, then yeah. Yeah. You're just constantly filled with doubt. Yeah. I've experienced that and it's not fun and I've experienced the opposite and it's a lot more fun (laughs) and obviously none of them worked out, but it's just, I can just, I can vouch for the difference between a relationship that just feels, I can understand there's hard work in all of them, but the ones that have felt right in the, and at least that time are completely different than the ones that I felt like I was just pushing against my intuition and I knew I shouldn't be there, but I was there anyway. It's a completely different feeling. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I mean, I just, I don't know, things are it's so, I'd say, I'm going to say comfortable. I feel like comfortable has a bad connotation. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't mean like things are, things are great. We're, there's passion, but it's also comfortable. It's like, it's home. I've always thought of Tim as home and I still do. I mean, I don't know. He's great. He's cool. He's cool. So, <laughs> Okay. So you, we always joke and really not joke that Tim is the exception, not the rule, and that Tim is basically everything from the book. He's just not that into you, but it works. Yeah. No, I'm the exception. (laughs) You're the exception. Okay, wait. Explain this. Explain this to everyone. This isn't advice, but it's a really interesting story about how it all panned out. Oh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't. Like, I would never tell our daughter to do what I did. What did you do? (laughs) So, Tim and I met when I was in college, my senior year, in March. And he was, he's, how much older? Six six years older than me. So, he was Mm -hmm. almost, like, 27. And I was 22. Mm Mm-hmm. That's five years. That's five. He was 28. Maybe I am dumb. But we met, and uh, he lived in the apartment complex across from mine, and I would go over to his apartment complex every day because I had friends that lived there, and they had a dog park. So I would take my dogs over there, and I ran into him in the parking lot one day, and he had his dog. I was like, oh, are you going to the dog park? no interest in him but I really wanted my dogs to have another dog to play with so he had no he didn't even know what a dog park was so I'm like come on let's go um <laughs> like a dog yeah come on. so we went to the dog park and then um I found out he had just moved here we became best friends we'd go to the dog park all the time we'd go out I mean we just we would talk all the time about family and um he came from a really close family like it, everything that I wanted you know big Christmases and uh, 
you know, his parents are still married and just exactly what I had always dreamed of. And people would always tell us, oh, you guys should date. And I was like, mm, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> and then uh, after about nine months, eight months, I guess, he confessed his love for me. Um, which so he tries to tell me that's not true, but that's exactly what I happened. I was there. It happened. Yeah, he called me up. I mean, I wasn't there in the room, yeah. but I was there. In, he in called life. me up and was like, oh, I think I like you. And so I wanted to just say friends. So after about a month, I finally was like, all right. So we got together. All right. That's so romantic. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I, at that point, I knew I was in love with him. Um, I, I mean, I had fallen in love with him. I When he first confessed it, I felt it too, but I just didn't want to mess up our friendship. So I was... I was like, let's just keep being friends. But I definitely at that point was like, okay, yeah, I think I'm in love with this guy. So we date for like three months. He's a huge asshole. Big. Big, big asshole. asshole. <laughs> I cannot say much for that. Yeah. I was also so there, for that. there was like question of whether he cheated on me, which he says he didn't, but like it was what? It's true. No, yeah. I just gave her some big eyes. I didn't I just did not expect that to come out on a podcast, but hit it i mean it's the truth very confusing so (laughs) then we broke up it was like really bad and um we didn't talk and then about i think nine months later we ran into each other at a bar we're drunk stuff happens and uh so then not need to know about this just kidding i know all about (laughs) yeah you were there i was there for that i was there for everything (laughs) i mean not there (laughs) um so then we weren't just hooking up it was six years of there would be five months at a time that we would be going on these great dates and having these long conversations and hanging out and things were great and i kept being like why are we not dating like what the heck? So anyway, in those six years, I dated other several other people. <laughs> but a every handful. every person I compared to Tim, and I could not get over him. And every time I broke up with someone, I would go back to Tim, and um, he was just the guy I couldn't I couldn't get over. I compared everybody to. Um, I even used him in one of my breakups with a guy. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I really appreciated that. Yeah. I'm sure Tim appreciated that. Yeah. But then after six years, we, like, hung out again. And I finally was like, what are we doing? It, what, it's been, you know, we met six years ago. I think that we should try dating because we were a kid. I was a kid and he was a dumbass. So let's try it again as adults. And I convinced him. We were on a walk. I convinced him. And, and now we're married. There you go. So the lesson out there for everyone listening is just spend six years, convince the guy. Be really desperate. <laughs> Be drunk, desperate. text him. Drunk, dial him. Definitely go to his house drunk. It will always pan out well. Yes, always. But I think the the moral of the story is, I think, when you know, you know. I don't know that that's the is moral that not of the, the moral? story. What's the moral? I don't know. It worked out for me. <laughs> That's the moral of the story. I think the moral of the story, okay, here are my morals. Things change. People change. Not yes. everyone, not all the time, but I do believe that people change. I do believe that some people change in their 20s and their 30s. Like, I don't. I Tim went through. Thirties. I went through the biggest life transformation I have at age 24, 25. So I understand mid-20s, late-20s transformations. and. 
So I think it's easy to say that should happen earlier, but. Elton was in his 30s. Well, whatever. He did it. <laughs> <laughs> he changed. Um, I don't know. What are the other takeaways? Maybe it's, maybe there's no lesson. Maybe it's just let things unfold. I think unfold. it's just, I mean, I would love to say that there was like the, this God's voice in the back of my head that always was whispering. It was just desperation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I have so many texts and emails and conversations from friends that heard I was hanging out with Tim again. And they're like, oh, my God, Sarah, what are you doing? Self-included. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Um, but there, the thing is, Although Tim acted like an ass, I knew him. Mm-hmm. I knew when we were friends, I knew him. I I had sat with him at the dog park and we had had conversation after conversation about how what we both wanted was a house in the suburbs and we wanted kids and we wanted a golden retriever running around in the backyard. We'll literally have that. Yeah, we have that. But that is I knew that's what he wanted and he kept just he he wasn't dating anybody seriously for all those years and he just was kind of pushing everybody away and i knew him like i i think i knew tim better than he knew himself and he will say that as well um but i just i knew that i knew that even though he was acting like an ass all those years i knew who he was ultimately and i loved him and i couldn't get over that so i mean i do believe it was meant to be Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to say that God's voice was whispering to me the whole time, but yeah. clearly, like, it was meant to be. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just... And I would like to also say that he's not an ass now. This is true. I can also <laughs> vouch for that. I'm vouching for lots of things. He's not an ass. He's a very caring guy. But I think big life so there's an elizabeth gilbert quote that i love which is no life transfer i'm gonna misquote but no life transformation ever happened without the person in question getting tired of their own bullshit and i think that's pretty much everyone i know who's done any kind of life transformation is you're just like wow i'm sick of myself let's not do it this way anymore it's not panning out for me let's revamp yeah so well i think he had to get out of the way of himself yes yes yeah, I think that's sick of his own bullshit. He's just, yeah. I'm holding myself back. Yeah. I'm not getting, I'm not getting the, I'm not having the life that I want. Yeah. And what am I going to do differently about it? So, super interesting. He thanks me all the time. She needs lots of validation, so it works out really well. <laughs> oh. But I ask him, like, pretty frequently, are you so glad that I chased you down all those years and convinced you to be with me? I feel like he's like, shut up, Sarah. Pretty much. <laughs> shut up, Sarah. Or he's like, oh, my God, no. He's like, leave me alone. I'm in the, I'm in the den. Shut up. <laughs> I want to hop back really quick to – this has to do with pregnancy, but it's about body image. Mm-hmm. So you grew up super skinny. What? I know. Sorry. <laughs> Newsflash. Um, which is like, we just got completely opposite genetics. Um, you grew up really skinny, which was always a source of a lot of self-consciousness for you. Oh, yeah. It made me really, really cognizant of how much the pendulum has swung from it used to be that skinny was in and skinny was cool and skinny was hip. And then I think the pendulum swung to the other side where people started saying things like, eat a cheeseburger and criticizing skinniness. Well, I think there's also 
fashion model skinniness and like I mean I I looked like I had an eating disorder yeah I was just naturally extremely skinny yeah despite eating a lot but all the time so what so what is what did it teach you or what did your what did people's responses I don't know mean to you taught me anything it was just humiliating it just made me very cognizant about not commenting on people's weight because you have no idea what's happening behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. I mean, people's – well, not – I wouldn't say now. Now I don't really care. I'm pretty confident now. But, I mean, through my 20s, people would comment and, um, you know, have you lost weight? Have you gained – I mean, just all these things. That it's just – you have no idea. Or people, oh my gosh, your your wrists are so skinny. <laughs> Thank you. I know. Yeah. I mean, Appreciate I remember that. this one time I wore a dress to church, and it was I thought it was the cutest dress. This was when I was, I don't know, thirteen. It was such a cute dress, and the pastor's wife was like, "Have you lost weight?" And I was just like, "Why are you commenting on my body?" Yeah. Yeah. I'm so embarrassed. Yeah. It's so interesting whose bodies we feel like we can comment on because I think as a society, we don't feel like we can comment on everyone's bodies. We feel like we can comment on select people's bodies, which is a great segue into pregnancy. So I was shocked. Saying it out loud, I realized I probably shouldn't be shocked. If you're body cognizant and then you get pregnant, it would likely body image would still be there, right? You would still be self-conscious. But I always felt really surprised at how self-conscious you were about gaining weight. Because yeah. Because I assumed that you would want to gain weight. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Tell me I, more. I had tried to gain weight my entire life. And I feel like I had finally got to the point where I was, like, fairly comfortable with myself. Although my legs I've, I've always been embarrassed about. But, um, I mean, I gained 40 pounds in pregnancy. And for someone who has tried to gain weight their whole life and hasn't i mean i've been the same weight well i gained weight when i did fertility meds but before that i've been the same weight for i don't know 10 years and then all of a sudden i see the scale just going up 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 and you know you're only supposed to gain 25 to 30 or 35 or whatever it is and i went over that and i mean it's just it's it's weird. I, I didn't expect it. I think pregnancy is such a miracle and it's so beautiful. And I had looked forward to being pregnant and I loved being pregnant, but I I was definitely self-conscious once I got, I mean, I, I got pretty big. And people commented. Oh, yeah. Oh, tell me, okay, tell me things that are helpful to say to a pregnant person and things that are not helpful to say to a pregnant person. Yeah, this is this is your platform right now. Hop up on your oh, soapbox. Oh yeah, baby, go to town. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Don't comment on people's weight or on people's sizes. I In don't either care. direction. Exactly, because people are self conscious no matter what. The majority, I think, from from all of my research with my friends, <laughs> very very. I in-depth, think very the majority. Research. Yeah, I think the majority of women are self-conscious one way or another. They feel like they're either too big or too small, and so asking, you know, oh, are you almost? Are you, are you about to have your baby? How much weight have you gained? You look so big. Blah blah blah. Don't say that stuff. You can say, wow, you look so beautiful. <laughs> you look so happy, radiant. <laughs> when are you due? 
but just don't make comments about their size or how they look like they're about to pop. Don't tell them they look tired. Don't tell them they look like they're over being pregnant. <laughs> I mean, these are all insults. Yeah. And I know people don't mean it that way. Right. But, oh, <laughs> so annoying. So any kind of commentary about body image when someone is pregnant is not helpful. And I will add in that we have a friend who has a disorder disease i'm not sure where her baby doesn't grow enough oh um what's the it's like i u g r inter uterine growth restriction might be it okay we're gonna go with that i think it's at ugr so basically you it's the, the baby doesn't grow enough yeah they i think they're smaller than average they like they have growth restriction so that's a a reason that you don't say oh you look so small too because that is that's happening with a lot of women and there's that that comes with its own burden of i think shame yeah shame and your your body is failing your child Mm -hmm. from from what i've heard yeah 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 so so no commentary just Um, tell people they look beautiful yeah and you're so happy for them yeah i like it there you go. That's your advice. And I think about that a lot in terms of grief, too. And to go back to just saying, if you feel confused, I don't know what to say. But there's just no no need to comment on body size. No. It's not your place. And it's like, when you're pregnant, it's, I feel like people, like, you, they don't treat you as a regular person. Like, you're just a, a baby incubator. And like baby carrier. Yeah. Like no other time in your life or would somebody no, you would never say to someone, oh, my gosh, you've gotten so big. Right. Oh, my gosh. You're so like you just would never say that to somebody or you would never walk up and touch somebody. It's so so don't even get her started. But it's super interesting to me that we are so cognizant of women's rights to their own body and not being inappropriate and yet somehow when you're pregnant it's like free reign for everybody to touch you it seems like they already think it is yes so weird (laughs) so don't go around touching so okay if you can your friends touch your stomach for you Uh, for me i'm totally fine with it like my good friends i don't care if they touch it but the thing is like i feel like most of my good friends ask first right um or they're like oh my gosh is she kicking can i feel but my good friends i'm totally fine with it it's like random people like and also don't do it when ever i don't care if your best friends when they're newly pregnant you're not feeling a baby you're just feeling bloat (laughs) that's awkward it's so awkward when people would do it when i was like six weeks six weeks pregnant i'm like dude the baby's the size of a freaking poppy seed you ain't feeling the baby (laughs) (laughs) does everyone taking notes when to touch a woman's body answer don't Unless you're her best friend. And then don't be weirdo. So you're actually (laughs) feeling the freaking baby. (laughs) I think we've solved all problems here on this podcast now. (laughs) Um, Okay. I want to talk about loop back around to infertility. Okay. Are you fine going back there? Yes. We've talked about what's helpful for people to say, what's not helpful for people to say. But. How do you just stay present? Maybe you don't. Maybe the answer is you don't. What, what, how do you get through it? And how do you get through miscarriages? And how do you get through all of the toughness of life? Well, I don't 
feel like I can speak about miscarriages because I haven't had any. Fair enough. Um, for infertility, I think it's also super important to emphasize that everybody deals with it very differently. Yeah. And so my experience and my advice or my what worked for us is not necessarily what works for everybody. Yeah. Um, I also always feel like I have to kind of do a disclaimer that we did not have to experience infertility for all that long. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes I feel like a little bit of a fraud. Yeah. Um, but the way that we, what we did is we, um, I mean, I've, I'm in all these Facebook support groups for infertility and so many people's marriages uh, suffer because of it because it's, I think especially the women get really obsessed with it. And it is, I mean, I get it. I totally yeah. get it, especially when that is what you have wanted your whole life. Right. And you see all your friends having it. And um, and with infertility, you're tracking everything. There's no just like relaxing and doing it when you want, you know? I mean, it's like... it, she means sex. Yeah, like you, I mean, you are tracking everything everything and you have to have sex every other day and you're you then you test you know you're testing your ovulation or you're going to the doctor you're having ultrasounds or you're doing meds or you're you're you know waiting the two-week wait I mean there's all these things that you there is no just chilling out like it's hard especially for the women the guys don't have to I mean the guys just have sex um I'm not saying it's easy on the guys but it is easier I think, and from having from all of my friends that have had had infertility, the guy it is just a different experience for the guys. Yeah, it still sucks, but they're not tracking everything. They don't track everything. They don't know, like they don't know that you're on day eight of the two week wait, and they don't know that you're on day two of your period. You know, like they just they don't know all that stuff. Even Tim, who was super super involved and super aware, he didn't know all of that. Yeah. Um, so what worked for us is trying to do, emphasize doing things that were going to be harder or not as much fun once we had kids. So mm-hmm. we tried to really enjoy sleeping in and we took, um, a trip like every month. Um, so most of it, you know, some of it was super local, like going to Durham, which is about 30 minutes from here yeah uh where we grew up um but you know we took we booked a spot super spontaneous like three weeks before we left we booked a big trip out west um i'm sure there are people that do that with kids we are not we are not those people (laughs) um but we just tried to do things that would strengthen our marriage go out to dinner have just have fun um you know have lots of girl or guy time and just emphasize that and and try to make it a positive experience and I mean I look back on it and I know it was a really painful time but it was also the best thing for our marriage I mean Mm -hmm. I think infertility makes you or breaks you and for us I think it brought us so much closer because we were very intentional about making it that way I think that's a really good point. And I, I think it's interesting to be in, I call it growing pains, in a period of growing pains. And it can take whatever form. It could be that you want a relationship. 
hypothetically, of course, (laughs) and you don't have one. Or it could be that you want a baby and you don't have one. Or it could be that you want to transition your career and, and you're having trouble doing that. Whatever. I think it's a really interesting place to be when you know fully what you want, but you don't have it yet. And to be fully present to that experience, this sounds so airy-fairy, but to just be fully present with the pain and to not push the pain away and to not say, I should be happier. Or I always say, I'm never going to look back on myself and be like, you should have done this differently. I think the way that you do it, to your point, you experience life and you go and you do these really cool, exciting things while experiencing pain. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you just don't want to let life pass you by. Mm -hmm. But I don't think you're trying to shove away the pain because I think we can both vouch that that's not possible. Absolutely. I mean, we definitely... I mean, I like to cry a lot, so... Me too. It's my favorite hobby. Yeah. One of them. so fun. But yeah, I mean, I totally cried all the time, but I also, you know, we we had a lot of fun, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think if you could... So I guess my advice is, regardless of how long it takes, I'm not saying you have to take a trip every time, but, I mean, try to try to live your life outside of just having a baby or finding a relationship. And it doesn't mean that, you know, I don't think you need to get to a place like when you're single, everybody's like, you need to be a hundred percent happy yeah. to be being single. No, you don't like, you don't need to change your dreams and pretend <laughs> right. that those are not your dreams. Right. I think you just, and I think what really people are saying is live your life. Don't just let your whole life pass you by because you don't know how long it will take. Right. Um, so I think that, I mean, for anything, whether, you know, we've, we, we've had friends who were trapped in jobs that they really were unhappy with, like, great, want another job, but keep living your life. Don't let three years go by that you look back and you're like, shit, all I did was sit around and think about how I want another job. Right. And that was my life for three years. Right. Be in the pain and do shit anyway. Yeah. <laughs> that's our, that's our deep yeah. advice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So. You wanted a relationship for a long, long time before you had one. And you wanted a baby for a long, long time before you had one. I think yep. we're we're very good at wanting what we want and knowing what we want and just being like, uh, okay, well, it's not here yet. But anything anything else that you think is helpful for somebody to to hear if that's what they're experiencing right now? Mm. It's tough. It's tough. It's just tough. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I guess you don't need to put nice cheery words around it it's just really hard and we we feel you yeah yeah it's hard i mean i watched all my friends be in relationships and it was painful yep and then i watched all my friends have babies and it was really painful yep being at a baby shower yeah gosh brutal yeah having friends <sighs> casually announce their pregnancies mm-hmm. absolutely heartbreaking i don't normally like this question because i think it can be really trite but i want to know what is your advice for your younger self if anything oh geez Mm -hmm. surprise i think about this often for especially in high school so i feel like when you get older at least for me 
there are these people in my life that I'm like, man, or I, I would, ha- I, I guess I, I still start off I'm like, man, their lives are so perfect. Like they're so beautiful and they have a great husband and they have perfect looking kid, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And when you get older, I feel like people are so much more vulnerable Yes, and people you're like, oh yeah, no, nobody has their shit together. Like yeah. everybody that looks like they have the perfect life has some sort of shit going on in their life. Mm-hmm. And I wish I had known that in high school because I was so self-conscious. There was this girl that was so cool. <laughs> she was like pretty and popular and she was nice. Ugh, those <laughs> yeah. are the worst. You yeah. can't even hate them because they're so nice. She was smart and sporty. <laughs> I mean, she like was the whole package. And years <laughs> later, I found out that she would like sit home on Friday nights and she wasn't off hanging out with everybody. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I wish I'd known that because she was the person like I wouldn't even say hi to because I I wasn't as cool as her. Yeah. But it, I, I mean, now I just feel like there's nobody that i'm like oh that person's too cool for me mm-hmm. because we're like every we're like nobody cares everybody has their shit yeah i wish high schoolers knew that yeah we should just go into high school and just like have a bowl oh my corn and tell them Let's no i don't think we just need to tell them i think people oh, okay. need to have to talk like if high schoolers yes. have like I don't know, like small groups where they sat around and talked about their problems more. Maybe this happens more now. I don't know. It didn't happen when we were kids. Yeah. But like if I had known that like most popular kids' parents were getting divorced or, you know, whatever it was, you just don't share that stuff. You're not vulnerable. At least we yeah. were. Yeah. We were not vulnerable. Everybody's so caught in their own shit in high yeah. school. Yeah. Well, I love – I was like, when is the word vulnerability going to be mentioned? It has to be mentioned at least once. But I do think there's a new wave of being really a lot more vulnerable. Like I have a book club and we read Daring Greatly by Brene Brown and it's all about vulnerability. And actually, funny story, I we were at the pool today and there was a woman that checks people in at the at the front of the pool. And I was walking out to go get some food and I saw her book and I was like, oh my gosh. Staring greatly, such a good book. And she started just tearing up and she was just saying, you know, she's going through some stuff. And and that moment, it's she wasn't even she was in the introduction of the book, but just in her having picked up the book, she was already acknowledging her vulnerability. And she hasn't even been through the whole book, which is also about vulnerability. So it was just a really cool moment where I think um I think there's a wave of really applauding vulnerability. And I'll be just curious to see how it how it shakes out if yeah. it shakes down into I know it's happening a lot in my life, but if it also kind of shakes out in high schools and in middle schools as well. Yeah. So stay tuned. To. The vulnerability surge. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wrote down my advice for my younger self. Do you want to hear it? All right. Let's hear it. Okay. I had time to prepare. Trust your intuition. There were so many times in my life where I was unhappy and I knew it, but I didn't, I didn't know what to do with it. And instead of trusting myself, it all to me just comes back to trusting myself. I didn't know that I was trustworthy. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't know that I was to be trusted. I think I had such a distrust of myself that I couldn't follow my own intuition. Yeah. So that's my, that's my first thing. It's like a huge, a huge, huge thing in my life. I really – I've always liked the quote, resentment is like 
drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, love that one. Um, so, you know, punishing other people really only punishes yourself. And then I just say zoom out. And I think it's it's tied to your point. Zoom out and all of these issues will seem, may, maybe not all of them, a lot of these issues will seem really insignificant. Like these things that you're so worked up about. And I don't think that the answer is just go emotionless by any means, but it's just process them differently and process the pain and then realize that you're going to look back and be like, I cannot believe that was such a big deal to me. Yeah. What else? Tell me about intuition. You know, this is a huge, huge, huge area of interest for me. I really, truly believe that we all have this intuitive part of ourselves that really has the answers for us in all moments um, and that we have a lot of ego on top of the intuition that makes us very human. And I don't know. Do you, do you tap into your intuition? I guess that's the first question. I mean, there's so many. Like, with, I think the biggest thing for me is with work. Mm-hmm. There's so many just so many factors Mm -hmm. it's not as easy as just following my intuition it's just not that easy there are so many like i said there are so many factors that play into it Mm -hmm. and even if i know what what is right for me it's 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 not always that easy yeah and i and i don't want to make it sound like i think it's easy either i think it's incredibly complicated and i think that there's a time to go i think people often get kind of a gut instinct they think this thing or they feel this thing and then they decide that they want to make a decision based off of it and instead of going back to their intuition and asking follow-up questions and asking like how do i do this people are like okay well i have this thing i want to do Like, I want to quit my job. My intuition says I want to quit my job. Instead of then using my intuition to help guide me through the entire process of quitting my job and what I do next, I think people get scared. I mean, I have this whole theory that people are pretty much operating from fear at all times, (laughs) and self-included. And it's – I think that's incredibly evident when you do intuitive work is – you just hear fear over and over and over. And I don't know that – people I think people often can't don't can't or don't identify something as fear but intuitively your intuition's like yeah that's fear yeah thoughts well I think I also I don't know like I feel like not everybody I mean what you said it's not it's not just a something for the rich but I do think sometimes following your intuition is a privilege. Not everybody can do that. I mean, you know, when we talk about like my intuition is I want to be a freaking stay at home mom. Right. And like my intuition is telling me that is what I was born to do. That's what I was created to do for now. I'm not saying forever. Right. But not everybody, somebody's intuition can be screaming that. And that is just not a possibility. And that does, that isn't necessarily because of fear. I mean, it just may not be a possibility. Yeah. Um, so I do th- – I'm not saying always, but I do think sometimes it is a privilege to be able to follow your intuition. I, I do agree. And I would just I would just add in, though, that I think that there's a way to keep using your intuition to help guide and help get you closer 
to what you intuitively want. Yes. I think maybe to me, like being in alignment has a better, like more inclusive feel to it than just following your intuition. Tell me about alignment. I've never heard you use that word. Yeah, I think it's just not you're like your values and your action are not lining up. Yes. That's how I I guess I yes. think about it. Yeah. So my example being in a relationship that's like you know fundamentally that it is not in alignment. You know fundamentally that this is not the person that you are your best self around, that brings out your best part, that you want to work hard with, that you want to grow with. Um, so I think that's acknowledging that it's work and it's growth, but that with the right person, you're not going to feel constantly uneasy. Anything else about intuition? She's shaking her head. What do you think people should know about me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, well, I think that people, to get a fully, like a the full picture of you because I think people are going to see more of the professional side of you and the intuition and you know all of that but like I know Chris so oh boy she's pretty goofy <laughs> that's true uh she does some pretty ridiculous stuff that's true I have a wild history <laughs> well not, not, not- like, no not like <laughs> okay whoa <laughs> not like drugs but we've done some pretty ridiculous stuff. We just do dumb things. We have we went on a cruise a bunch of years ago <laughs> with we took a pack of we had four of us with a pack of names. Like in our twenties. Yeah. In our twenties, four four women with a pack of name tags. And we left the cruise <laughs> with literally lifelong friends. We named everyone on the cruise. We gave them a different nickname. So we had like Anaphylactic Shop. That was one of the names we had. Macintosh. Con- Constable. We were in, at dinner in Wright, Wrightsville Beach. Was it Wrightsville Beach? No, Myrtle Beach. Myrtle Beach. And the restaurant was – the waiter stayed after he got off oh, that was because he was just having so much fun. And we ended up having a cartwheel contest in the middle of the restaurant. And we were all just doing cartwheels down the, down the aisles. It's terrible. If you weren't with us, you would have hated us. But if you were with us, we would have tried to include you we and bring you in. We were very inclusive. But I feel like that's like, I feel like everybody's going to think you're like the super serious, you know, life coach. But like, yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. I, I, I do think about this sometimes. I really want my podcast to be fully representative of who I am as a person. And I always – I feel like my joking title for myself is going to be the cross-legged coach, which I'm literally sitting cross-legged <laughs> right now because I just coach. I always coach cross-legged. It's just like – I just like to be super casual. Um, Obviously, I want to show up professionally. But I let's wanna... be real. I bet you bet – I bet you have a professional top and sweatpants on the bottom. A hundred percent. I always put on <laughs> – I always put on either a dress, but most more than more often than not, it's a nice shirt and then yoga pants. So sorry to anyone who I've coached before. That is what I was wearing. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I think you've been really helpful. One thing that you said to me was stop going to people. You didn't say it in these exact words, but what I got from it was stop going to people who don't share your values for advice. 
And that was really helpful for me because I have, I like to process externally. And so I would share with a lot of different types of people. And I would get these responses that just felt so unaligned, going back to the word alignment, felt so completely unaligned with what I wanted to do and who I was and how I was processing that it just wasn't helpful. And it wasn't that I wasn't open to advice and it wasn't that I wasn't open to a different perspective. It was just these people, their priorities were not my priorities. And so you helped me really hone in on who I talked to. Yeah. And I think you talked to me sometimes about Tim because you know, maybe not all the time, maybe you specifically don't talk to me at times, but you talk to me sometimes because you know I'm going to be real with you. Yeah. You know I'm not going to be like, he's a dick. Yeah. If he's not a dick. <laughs> right. But I also know that you're not going to then have a catalog of his faults. Right. And I think that's the problem when you talk to someone who doesn't know both of you super well. Like if you're just off bitching to a girlfriend that barely knows your husband and all you're doing is whining about your husband whether it's legit or not yeah like and i have this where i have friends who all they do is complain about their husbands it's pretty hard for me to let go of that if i if i don't know your husband and don't know all the good things about them and all i'm hearing is the negatives and then the next time you're like oh my god he's such a good husband well i remember all of those things yeah so i think it is important to have someone that Fully gets the picture. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's being vulnerable in front of the right people. All right. As we wrap up, I just have one final question for you. Okay. I know you and I don't have the best taste in books. We like to read, but we like to read our our style of books. Emily Giffen for the win. And we love Emily Giffen. She talks about real issues. Yes. It's technically chiclet, but it's actually intricate stories multifaceted a lot of different sides she talks about stuff like sexual assault and she talks about marriage i think she actually does it in a really relatable way i agree i love her so other than emily giffen who i genuinely think we both recommend what are what is another book that you would recommend to people listening well that i feel like i would want to recommend i i like to thrive okay which I read years ago. So in case anyone listening doesn't know, Thrive is by Ariana Huffington. I also highly recommend the book. I have a handful of probably 10 books that I think are relevant for most people in most areas of their lives. And that's one of them. So I love it. I loved that book. So thank you for sharing. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really liked I get to talk to you. I have a pretty direct line to you. But I liked getting to talk to you in this format. This was really interesting. Um, and I'm glad to see how it progressed naturally. So anything else to add before we sign off and go eat some crab dipped in butter, which is our favorite meal ever? I don't think we're having crab dipped in butter. I'm pretty sure we're just having butter with a side of crab. That's true. Good point. But yes, <laughs> I'm quite excited. I don't think I have anything else. My, my stomach's grumbling now. So Okay, we're going to go <laughs> eat a delicious meal with a side of mashed potatoes too. Yeah. On the side of our bowl of butter with our crab. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. See ya. Bye. At dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Your support helps this podcast grow. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and then head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is so much appreciated, and I will see you on the next episode.